This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Thanks for joining us for worship today. And we begin a new series called Battle Ready. There is a theme in the Bible in a small section of Ephesians chapter 6 that unveils the reality of a spiritual battle that is um, unknown to many people. Most people are unaware of the spiritual conflict that exists in all of the world. I don't know if you've ever been tooling around on the internet and suddenly an ad pops up and you see that ad and you, um, you can't resist. It says, this vegetable will eliminate your belly fat. And yeah, I just say, I've got to know what that vegetable is. I click it. And the next thing I'm watching a doctor talk about his education and the books he's written and all the research he's done on vegetables and why this vegetable is going to change my life. And the video is going to be 60 seconds. No, five minutes. No, 20 minutes. No, before long, it's going on too long. And finally, I'm saying, just give me the vegetable. And then it says, send us your email address and we'll send you this free brochure. And I'm saying, stop, just give me the vegetable. And then I think, I got sucked into that. And I realize now that that little ad on my computer screen has behind it this whole enterprise of business to lure me in and take my info and all of the money I'll give them to be a lifetime subscriber to this or that, whatever, and you never find out what the vegetable is. You know, that experience is a lot like approaching the spiritual world around us that you can't really see it, but there is beyond us this great enterprise of spiritual conflict. And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us all about it. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. This is the passage that was read a little bit earlier in our service. But I want you to take special note um, of verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That verse... Verse 12 describes this huge enterprise of spiritual conflict that is always going on. And that conflict is between the character in the Bible called Satan and God himself. Now, I said earlier that it's fair to say many people don't understand this conflict exists. About 12 years ago, Barna did a research study in which they found that the general population of the world, about 82% do not even believe in a literal character called Satan. And in the church, it doesn't get that much better. 
four out of 10 self-described Christians agree that Satan is not a living being, but merely a symbol of evil. If the world doesn't even know that a character called Satan exists, it's not surprising that he's gaining victory after victory after victory. This passage describes the true sense of the spiritual battle that is going on in all of the world. And I realize as soon as I begin to say this, uh, some of our minds want to turn off and not really listen. So this series that we're in for the next four weeks is about the battle and how to have spiritual victory. And this is one of the touchstone passages that will help us understand it. As we begin, let me just tell you what the Bible says about the reality of Satan, whether he's believed on in the world or not. The Bible, in all of the Old Testament, assumes the existence of Satan. From the Genesis account, the reality of Satan is there in all of creation. The story of the book of Job depends upon and is based upon the challenge of Satan to God himself. Satan's existence is acknowledged by every New Testament writer of our Bible. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 29 references to Satan, 25 of them by Jesus himself, in which he refers to Satan as a real person, not an impersonal force, a real person. Satan in the Bible is described as a created angelic being who exalted himself in prideful rebellion against God and continues to act in an ultimately futile attempt to overthrow God and to thwart all of his purposes in the world. The Bible both assumes his reality and it describes his reality. What we also know about our enemy is something by his names. Let me share some of the names of Satan. That word Satan itself means adversary. He is the enemy of God and all of the people of God. His name is devil, which means slanderer, one who falsely charges and misrepresents someone in order to defame and damage them. He's called the ruler of this world, the God of this world, who's blinding the minds of unbelieving people. He's called the ruler of demons, the prince and power of the air. He's called the evil one. And we're told in 1 John 5, 18, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. He's called the accuser of the brethren and the great deceiver and he's ultimately called the father of lies. He's a liar. In John chapter 8, verse 48, Jesus told some who were with him, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When you look at all of these names attributed to the character 
who is the arch enemy of God, the one that many people don't even believe exists, you know that what his primary activity is, though varied, it's always directed against God and his character, against his purposes to save and to redeem his people. Satan attempts to thwart all of God's plans, all of his purposes, and to distort his truth as he's revealed it in his word. He's there to promote falsehood, division, and every evil of any kind. He hates God, he hates his people, and he is constantly attacking both. When you listen to the words and names that Satan is called, you know that if you could wrap up his strategy in one simple word, it's liar. He lies. He lies, and his aim is to deceive and to beguile and to distort everything that is true. His power is wrapped up in the lie. And therefore, if you can take the truth that God has spoken and apply it to the lies of Satan, you can undo the power of the lies of Satan. So look with me at verse 11. In verse 11, after the opening verse, to be strong in the Lord, Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word used in verse 11 is the Greek word methodia. We get the English word method, but it has the sense of something that's cunning or crafty, deceptive. It was often used of animals who were sneaking around, stalking their prey, and then they'd pounce on it because they were hidden by some obscure plan to be hidden. That's a scheme. Satan has all kinds of schemes because he's the liar. So what are some of those lies? Are there any lies being told today as we think about Satan's schemes in all the world? Hold on there in chapter 6 and turn back for a second to chapter 2. And we'll get a sense of his work in all the world. There in chapter 2, Paul says, speaking of our life before Jesus, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, the unseen world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Those are some more descriptions of him working behind the scenes. So if you think about all of the world and the spirit of darkness working in all the world, telling lies and distorting God's truth, what would you say are some of those lies? I started to assemble a list. How about this? God is dead. Or God doesn't exist and never has existed, or he's not involved, or the lie that Satan is not real, that is being believed by most people, or the fact that humans are born basically good. I think Satan made that up. There is no hell. There's no eternal judgment. So just eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die, and that's the end of it. 
These are lies that are being told today. Everyone goes to heaven. God would never punish anyone eternally. All religions basically say the same thing. For sin is a social contract. There is no standard, absolute morality. When you think about all the world being under the influence of the evil, unseen world, and that he's a liar, all of these lies are true. And they don't stop there. There are lies being told today in our own world. This fetus is not a human being. That's a lie. The nuclear family has to be destroyed. Who is that an attack against? God who created family. God who made them male and female. We're now being told that gender is malleable. Where do all of these influential ideas that distort the truth of God come from? If you would be honest, you would know that there is a spirit of influence in the world, in the unseen world, now working all around us. And that's why Paul says, you need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. If all of what I've just said is true about Satan, then a couple things we can affirm. Number one is that the primary area of satanic influence in all the world is his work in the mind. What we believe, what we think, how we understand things. His realm of influence is primarily the mind. And our battle then is not so much a battle against human energy, against satanic power, but it's a battle of God's truth versus Satan's lies. So again, if you look at verse 12 of chapter 6, we read that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We always hesitate about using battle language at Calvary because we don't ever want to be combative in the world. We want to have the spirit of Jesus, gentle and lowly. We want to be meek and humble with everyone around us. So Paul makes this strategic point. Our battle's not against other human beings. It's not against people. It's against spiritual influence that comes against our very mind. And so that's why he says, put on the whole armor of God that you will stand against the schemes of the devil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we find a very similar verse that in one of the particular schemes of our adversary, Paul said, I'm telling you this so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs, of the way in which he tries to trick us up. Hey, listen, part of our mission on this series is to help us understand that the battle is real. And a lot of times we think, well, once I become a Christian, then maybe I'm immune from this conflict. No, no, no. It's not that way. In fact, I might even say that the more you know, the more intensified the battle can become, the spiritual battle for the mind. And just because you've known the Lord a long time doesn't mean 
that the battle goes away. But what it does mean is hopefully the longer you understand you, who you are in the family of God, the more able you understand the resources that God has given to us for this very spiritual battle. So, what is the way to face this battle? Paul begins by saying in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So let me see if I can help give us two or three really simple, actionable items to take away as we start this series. Because the enemy seeks to deceive, there are certain things that we need to know and understand. And the first one is to know where you stand with Christ. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I love that Paul points us to Jesus. And even this talk of the battle, the spiritual struggle that we're in against our enemy who wants to undo us, if it unsettles us, I want to begin by saying, how do you get strong in the Lord? The first step is to know where you stand with Christ to know where you stand with Christ. So turn back with me to the opening chapters. In a message like this, we don't have time to look at all of the context of the book of Ephesians, but you should know that the book begins by laying out our position in Christ before it ever gets to this suggestion about how we live. So watch with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Did you catch that phrase? In the spiritual realm in which we're talking about having spiritual conflict with an enemy who's against us, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in that spiritual realm of our life, because you're in Christ. And then that chapter begins to unfold. What are those spiritual blessings? Well, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined you for adoption into his family to the praise of his glory. You experienced, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins and the redemption through his blood and all of the blessings of what it means to be in Christ is the foundation for which we can say, you know what, I am in a secure place. I'm in Christ. Though all of hell should threaten to undo me, I will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through me. Oh, that's a great hymn. And then you go to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and Paul said, I urge you, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he describes our calling in Christ. I think standing firm against all of the temptations and the doubts and the schemes of our enemy begins with understanding, I know who I am in the Lord. So one action item is, do you know who you are in Jesus? 
Have you ever received Jesus as your Savior? Do you know he's come into your life and forgiven your sins, and he lives in you, and you belong to him? You are a child of God. Knowing that allows you to strengthen yourself in the Lord and in his power. Paul's not saying you need to buck up and be as strong as you can against every scheme of our enemy. You need to rest in the Lord. There are so many examples in the Bible of saints who drew near to the Lord and tried to strengthen themselves in the Lord, and that's the first step. The second step to standing against the strategy to take us out spiritually is to recognize our weaknesses. To recognize our weaknesses. To say to ourselves, when am I vulnerable to temptation and sin. At what point in my life experience do I frequently feel most inclined to forget about who I am with Jesus and be drawn away to Satan's schemes? If you're still with me in your Bible, I want you to keep your finger here in Ephesians 6, but turn left a couple pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about a conflict in his life in the spiritual battle in which he calls out Satan as trying to ruin his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations I experienced, A thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to harass me and to keep me from uh, to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul says, I had this thorn in the side, whatever it was, if it was a physical ailment, and it was to keep me humble, but it was actually a messenger of Satan. And three times I pleaded to the Lord about this, that it should leave. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest on me. I'm content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So if there's an action item to think about victory in the battle, it's understanding your weaknesses. For Paul, it was some kind of ailment that he had that he embraced in order that in the weakness he had, the strength of God in whom he rested as a Savior would be shown in him. So I don't know what your weaknesses are. I know what mine are. I know when I'm particularly vulnerable to temptation to thinking in a way that is, does not align with what God has already said. And so I have to understand my weaknesses. And I have to say, Lord, where I'm weak, may the strength of Christ in me be seen. So if I'm going to stand against temptation and lies, I have to know who I am in Jesus. I have to know where I'm weak. And if there's a third action step, it's this that I have to firm up my faith. Firm up my faith. 
And I think that's embedded in all of chapter 6, that you put on the armor of God that begins in verse uh, 13, that you would be able to stand in the evil day, stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, and he begins to probably describe the soldier who was next to him in prison and look at his armor and say there's a belt of truth that a soldier has to wear. Now, when a soldier dressed for battle, he, he would wear a tunic and he would march around the city for civilian or for non-combat duty with, with a long tunic. But when he went to hand-to-hand combat, he would gird up the tunic and tuck it into his belt so that he would be free to move around. And I think that's the picture Paul was probably looking at at the soldier there, saying you need to gird up your loins, gird up your belt, get tightened up for battle with the belt of truth. What is true? You need to firm up your faith in what you know is absolutely true. That's why we say to you, you know, our study of the word of God helps us. James put it this way, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8 says, resist the devil, firm in your faith. So if there's a way to prepare for battle against Satan's lies, it has to include firming up our faith by knowing what God has said, knowing that he's described his truth and that every attack of our enemy is going to be to erode and distort what God has said. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, that's the opening line of Satan. It's his greatest hit. Has God really said, and everything went downhill. Listen, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at a couple of Satan's most regular tactics to undo us. And we want to be strong in the Lord. We want to know our position in him. We want to understand that we all stumble in many ways and we have weaknesses that we want the power of God to flow through. And we want to be strong in the truth of God, knowing that we have an enemy who wants to devour us. He's against us. So we want to identify what those are. He has many schemes. One of our pastors, Gary Osborne, told the story this week to us about a trip he took to Haiti with one of our heroes in the faith, Walt Baker. Walt Baker has since been promoted to heaven. He's with the Lord. But while he was here, he was a lifetime missionary many, many years in Haiti. A number of years ago, Gary was with Walt traveling through Haiti, and they were walking through this field where the kids were playing soccer in the day. But in the field, there were altars, and then there were stakes in the ground where animals were tied up in the field. And Gary said he felt an oppression in that place, and Walt described that this would be the field later on that night where voodoo, pagan worship would occur, and those animals would be sacrificed. They believed that the trees would come to life at night, and the branches became serpents. And Gary said that in that place he could find and sense such demonic oppression that he asked Walt, the seasoned veteran, and man of God, why do you think we don't 
sense demonic activity as open as this in the United States. And Walt just replied to Gary that the enemy's tactics in America are different. His schemes are different. He said the enemy in the United States uses comfort and security and materialism to distract people from loving Jesus. I love that statement. It doesn't always show up the same, but it's always to undermine the work of God. And over the next couple weeks, we want to listen carefully to what the scriptures have said so that we might be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We don't have time to describe, but do you know Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil? And when he was on the cross, Satan's doom and final judgment was secured. Jesus Christ took on flesh in order that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. I just want you to know that if you're in Christ, you're seated with him in heavenly places. And although we have a battle, Jesus has conquered our enemy. His doom is sure. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, the death and burial of resur- and resurrection of Christ, which secured our eternal victory. But for now, let's draw near to the Lord. Let's know who we are in him. Let's understand who we are in our frailties so that his power can be seen in us. And let's be firm in the real truth that God has given to us in his word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given a prescription and the resources of your truth your spirit, to let us be strong in the power of the Lord. And today I pray that you will push back every deception, every lie, and every doubt about who you are. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will come into the heart of those who need to call upon your name to be saved And I pray that now as we move to communion, you will lead us to worship in the depths of our soul and our mind in spirit and truth, the one who gave himself to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer evil, and to lead us into everlasting life. Lord, may your truth guide us in these days as we come to worship you at the table now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.